who wins here and as it starts to like filter in through society? One interesting thing that we're seeing is that people are becoming full-time digital artists and there's a market where there's collectors and curators and you know people who want to support those artists. Maybe the prices are a little bit inflated right now, um, but certainly like there's there's a market where um, you know you 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 want to donate or or contribute to a creator that you really like and and you can you know pay maybe fifty cents to two dollars, but there's enough of those people that an artist can make a living on that. And if you compare that to the model of Instagram, right, very different model. On, on Instagram, you're uploading content, but you're, you know, monetizing it through Facebook's proprietary ad platform. And oftentimes you're just not getting paid at all. Welcome back to Yang Speak special limited series every Thursday, bringing to you a deep dive on a topic that affects our future. And this week we are talking about the future of NFTs, non-fungible tokens. And if you've heard of NFTs, you're probably like me, or you've heard all these people talking about it and you have no idea what it is. So the goal of this episode is to understand what the heck an NFT is and should I care about it? And I think the answer to that question is yes, you should care about it. It is fascinating. And I want you guys to get on this train sooner rather than later because I believe from what I've learned that it will start slowly but eventually change everything. Now, I brought on co-founder and CEO of an organization called OpenSea and they are like the eBay or Amazon for NFTs non-fungible tokens. So you can pretty much sell anything that's an NFT uh, on their site. It's going great for them. Um, It's growing like a weed. So it's a fascinating conversation. It's timely right now. People are selling NFTs for millions of dollars and we talk about that. And I want to learn how the common human can apply them to their real life. So that's what we talk about. It is timely, it is interesting, and it will be relevant for everyone at some point so tune in right now, Devin Finzer, CEO, co-founder of OpenSea, the NFT marketplace, joins Yang Speaks, the future of NFTs, right now. All right, welcome back to Yang Speaks today. We are talking about the future of blockchain, the future of NFTs with um, a pretty remarkable entrepreneur. Cutting edge has been seeing what's what's coming around the bend for a lot longer than most of us. As we now talk about NFTs, you've been doing this for years now. So Devin Finzer, the co-founder of OpenSea, which is a marketplace for blockchain-based digital assets. Devin, welcome, welcome to the show, man. Thanks so much for having me. I'm pumped. I'm, I Honestly, I have been, and I've been telling people, you think these NFTs are cool? Yeah, I've got a guy coming on. Um, I've been saying, you've been the guy, you've been the guy coming on for a couple, like a week and a half now. So um, how the hell did you get into NFTs? Um, and let's just explain 
for our audience to what an NFT is um, from, let's call it an expert's definition. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, yeah, I can start with kind of the definition of an NFT real quick. So um, an NFT is a digital object that you own in kind of a brand new way and in a way that's similar to a physical object is one way to think about it. So uh, when you own a physical thing, you can kind of do whatever you want with that thing because you have kind of the property rights over it, right? So you could go and throw it in the trash if you didn't want it anymore. You could give it to a friend across the world. You could go and put it for sale on eBay or Craigslist. You sort of have that freedom to do to do whatever you so desire with that with that object um digital or nfts are sort of the equivalent in the digital world where um they're these digital assets but you have the same property rights over them so you can for example sell them on a variety of different marketplaces you can take them into different applications you can kind of move them around without relying on a single application so to contrast that with traditional digital asset if you think about like an item inside of a video game. Well, you can kind of use that item inside of the game. Maybe the game kind of lets you move it to another player, maybe not. Um, but you can't necessarily go and, you know, sell that on eBay very easily. So I get the Zelda sword or the Ocarina of Time, which is maybe I'm dating myself. I can't take that to another video game. I probably can't even take that to another Zelda. Maybe I could. Um, right. But in this instance, in NFT, I could actually get that object and take it to another video game. Yeah, exactly. Or you could go and put it for sale on a marketplace. And then before people could copy that too, right? Like if someone could design that ocarina, maybe this is a horrible example. People have never played this video, but someone could design that sword, hack a video game and throw it in there too. And it wouldn't be the same, right? And they're, they're not hackable, right? It's completely unique to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They have, there's this third party sort of neutral record called the blockchain that says here's where this item originated from. Here's all of the different places it's been, right? Who's owned it. Um, this is its full history over time. Um, and this is the only one of this, this item that ever has existed, right? So some people have compared it to art, but I think that like doesn't do it justice in the sense that you could broaden it to like art. So you have to be an art expert, right? In today and like real modern art, right? Or not even like historical art, Renaissance art, whatever it is. Um, you need an expert, but there's collectibles. So people like a Wayne Gretzky rookie card or XYZ athlete, like that would require an expert to validate it. But also if you had a wooden desk from George Washington's home when he was a child, whatever it was, like someone be able to verify that too. This is similar to, this would, an NFT could technically cover all of those types of things. Am I getting that right? Totally. Yeah. No. So an NF NFTs are very generic. They can represent all sorts of things. Now, um, what's been interesting is that NFTs are starting to be applied to both existing markets. Gaming is actually is a huge industry, right? People spend billions of dollars buying things inside of Fortnite. Um, but it's also opening up new markets. And that's where digital art comes into play. Digital art is not has not traditionally really been a market right because you to your point you can always copy and paste that image and then send it around so there's no real there, there was no real concept of owning a piece of digital art this technology introduces that and it's unlocked an entirely new and very weird and interesting market where you know if 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 uh i'm sure you followed the recent news with these really giant 69 million dollar digital art sales that's 
not something that has ever really existed, right? Um, and so that's what's exciting about the technology is it's so generic that it's both unlocking new markets and then it's also changing the game for uh, existing markets as well. I mean, there are some crazy um, valuations. Like I've seen a flying Pop-Tarts rainbow cat is getting about 600 grand. I've seen a month old digital artwork selling for $69 million. What is making these things valuable in the short run, right? Like that's where the high, let's start there. Like what is, what the hell are people paying for right now? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on on the scenario, right? So I uh, I guess let's look at an example, right? So um, one example is a project called CryptoPunks. Uh, have you ever heard of that one by no. any chance? Teach okay, me. so crypto. <laughs> sure. So <laughs> CryptoPunks um, was uh, launched in late 2017, and it was actually the first NFT before people even had come up with the term NFT. Um, but basically, it was 10,000 very simple images of these these punks. Um, they sort of had these unique characteristics. They were like kind of, you know, ones that had sunglasses, other ones had were alien punks, there were zombie punks, only 10,000 of them. And, you know, as per, as with what we talked about with the blockchain, there will only ever be 10,000 crypto punks. That is, you know, as long as the blockchain continues to function in the way that it has for many years now, that's, you know, that's sort of a known quantity. And these punks are like little faces, right? They're like little... Little faces. um, uh, They look pretty cool. Yeah, they're, they're kind of cool, pretty simple. So, you know, back then they were given out for free. So people could just go and claim them on the blockchain. And it actually took a while for them all to be claimed. Um, and then they started, you know, as as you can do with these things, you can trade them around. So every once in a while, someone would buy one for, you know, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, something like that. Um, and then fast forward, um, fast forward to today and... These, you know, they're the first, right? They're the first NFT. Um, holding one is indicative of being extremely early and passionate about the NFT space. And, you know, just a few weeks ago, uh, CryptoPunk sold for $8 million. Um, and, and so these, these items have become sort of the first instance, in my opinion, of the first digital antique um, where, you know, it, it has this real cultural value to it. You know, people, um, people in the deep crypto community, maybe, maybe outside of the deep crypto, people are still sort of starting to get interested, but, um, you know, people will put them as their Twitter handle. There's this association with, uh, owning a crypto fund that either you're really wealthy and you bought one on a secondary yeah, market or, um, or, cool or you were it. really early. Oh, right. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, I think that's how, that's an example of how these things can sort of accumulate cultural, value over time and really in interesting ways that people don't typically associate with digital things. Um, but, you know, it's not much different than owning, you know, a really historic piece of art that was created in the, I don't know, 17, 1800s or something like that. Right. Um, so it's starting to emerge and people are starting to kind of get used to it, but it's definitely something that takes a little bit of wrapping your head around. Right. So I'm going to dive into this a lot, but before, if, if anyone's coming into this not knowing, like not understanding, like why the hell would someone pay, you know, this much money for a digital face or something, just as absurd as it sounds, and I, I don't understand it, let's not judge because people are paying millions of dollars for 
which you some could argue objectively either ugly paintings or in terms of modern art stuff that a child could do. Um, now I understand art is different, but I've, art is art. Like people pay what they want to pay. Now let's, but I, before we get there, let's back up a little bit because to me, I'm fascinated about how people got into this because um, before now, because now I understand where it's like, all right, Rainbow Cat's kicking butt where I can make money or this is like, you know, Fortune Magazine's writing headline arguals and cover pieces on it. But for you, you're a, a, an entrepreneur. Um, I believe your, your background, you were a senior at something called Credit Karma. I was like, you know, like help build that. Um, and now your next step after like a credit score company which is successful, you're like NFTs, like this non not these sort of like like tech tokens is where you went. Tell us how the hell you got into this, man. Well, like a lot of people, I fell down the rip the crypto rabbit hole. And in 2017, tons of people were starting to think and talk about crypto. Um, and you know, if you're interested in sort of the future of the internet and the future of technology, I actually think crypto is is one of those frontier areas that is going to be just continue to be really, really interesting and really, you know, transformative over, uh, you know, it's already starting to be transformative, but just increasingly so over the next uh, couple decades. Um, and so at some point uh, for me, I, I realized I wanted to be in crypto. I wanted to devote my career to that. And it was a question of what did I want to do? Um, and in particular, I had always been more interested in, um, you know, things that people could use in their everyday, that, that, that mainstream regular people could use in their regular lives. People like me to, who are clueless and are going to come <laughs> on casually to a website and, and use the yeah. blockchain, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And in crypto at the time, there wasn't much like that. It was, it was primarily sort of deep financial or sort of speculative use cases around um, <clears throat> ICOs, initial coin offerings at the time was a big thing. Um, and then there was, there was a lot of like early, um, there's a lot of deep technology being built out because it, you know, it, it is still the infrastructural phase for, for crypto certainly. Um, but there was this really interesting phenomenon going on with a project called crypto kitties, which was actually, I guess, technically maybe the second NFT depends what you, count as, as first or there were some things before that crypto kitties launched and they basically you know they went out and created this simple digital cat game right where you could buy and sell crypto kitties um, and it was just really fun it was sort of the first time that people got to use a crypto application um, that wasn't you know just purely financial it was something that you could kind of like play with uh, in, a, in a much more fun way. Also, I also kind of was exposed to just how interesting the gaming ecosystem had gotten, right? Games have become really the social networks of the future. They're places where people are spending a lot of time with their friends, their big it's economies. Insane. It is exactly insane. The intersection of those different uh, industries, gaming, crypto, consumer um, was just really exciting to me. And then in terms of um, OpenSea in particular, so for context, OpenSea is a, a marketplace for NFTs. So we allow you to buy and sell any NFT um, uh, through a variety of mechanisms. And OpenSea is what you're CEO of now. You founded this, right? That's How correct. long ago? Yeah. Uh, we founded it in late 2017. Okay. And your yeah. vision then, I think it was then, or at least what you're saying now, is you want this to be the Amazon or eBay for NFTs or digital assets. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Is that correct? Yep, that's right. So how, how does it work? I can go on the site and I can just buy stuff like I would on Amazon that is forms of digital art or assets or things like that? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you can go and you can buy uh, NFTs on OpenSea. Um, you can also explore any NFT um, because uh, all of this data is public on the blockchain. You can go and browse and, you know, you can find that uh, Neon Cat that you that you were talking about or that Beeple artwork. Um, we index or we, we uh, store all the data in our, our own replicated in our own server. So it's easy, easily queryable by regular folks. And then if you want to resell it, you can do that as well. And can I buy, do I have to buy them with crypto or can I buy them with dollars? Like how does this work? At the moment, um, you do have to use crypto. We do have some um, support for being able to purchase more easily purchase crypto uh, through widget on our site, but it's only available in certain locales. Um, but it, we are working on, um, better integration of credit card support as well. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record, your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device, you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com yang. Go to expressvpn.com yang to learn more. Some of these things you can like print out, print in like these digital frames. And I want to put one mm -hmm. behind us. There's a Pokemon <laughs> card that's called Musky Dodge, but it's Elon Musk's head on Rafiki holding up Simba. But Simba is Dodgecoin. <laughs> that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? Like there's a lot more to where this can go. Yeah, well, I mean, you can think about a, a lot of different markets that this applies to. Um, one we could start with is the creator economy, right? There's um, uh, experiences like Patreon, which are awesome, where you can contribute to a creator that um, that you're uh, excited about, but you don't you don't necessarily get um, anything in return, right? You you don't get sort of a slice of um, their you know, their creations, or you know, you, you're not really owning something at the end of the day. You're just contributing, which is 
great. But imagine if you could contribute, what if you could buy, um, you know, this is the case today, right? You can buy a piece of digital art um, from one of your uh, favorite, you know, a collectible from your favorite musician, or you could, you could buy something from a nonprofit that you're trying to support and sort of have more ownership in that project or that person. Um, and not in like an investment sense, but just in a way that, you know, you, you now have this, uh, object on the blockchain that you can kind of show off and and say that you know I was a supporter of this person very early on. Um, so as an example, um, there's an artist uh, who came on to OpenSea uh, maybe a couple of years ago named Josie Bellini, who's basically a, a crypto artist, right? A lot of her art is crypto themed, but she's really built up a name for herself, and she's been able to monetize by just selling her digital art to her fans and she does a really good job of it she she's very you know she always has a, a very limited supply of art she doesn't inflate it uh, she's very loyal to her collectors um, and and her collectors have been able to support her by purchasing the art and then some people are able to resell it uh, down the road and so there's this nice symbiosis between the people who want to support uh, creators or organizations and um, and, and having some stake in their uh, success as well. So that can apply to all sorts of things, right? Um, uh, we've had a good number of uh, charity auctions on OpenSea. Recently, we did uh, the, uh, I don't know if you saw the SNL skit on NFTs, but um, SNL actually tokenized that skit as an NFT um, and then auctioned it off. And I believe it sold for around $350,000. And then that was given to a charity um, yeah. uh, to to help against it with with uh, anti Asian um, hate crimes. I think there's an infamous like Prince Underground uh, like after party with like all the celebrities in the world, and they filmed some of it. But I imagine like if you had filmed that whole thing, like someone to own it. Um, now, do we have to own everything in society? Maybe, maybe not. But like the fact that there could be some value there and used for potential good is, is fascinating to me. Um, and this is one. So I was listening to there's a guy named Scott Galloway who, who's on the Pivot podcast, but he has his own show called The Prof G Show. One of the things he says is like, and he's older than me, and he's like, it's like, I don't know, something about my brain. What he said is that it's tough to wrap your head around this where like a 10-year-old like just gets this instantly um, because of how they're wired. And for us, for people that haven't grown up with this, it's like more steps and more steps. But I'm curious, um, like mechanically how this could work. So let's say we're gonna do NFTs for Andrew Yang, like the Yang gang. And you could buy a token that made you a card carrying member of the Yang gang. Andrew would get money for his cause or for charity or for his campaign theoretically or whatever. And then you as a Yang gang NFT, like token holder could I don't know, use that token could give you access to ask me anything or Q&A sessions with Andrew or access to specific virtual or in-person events. And you just have to have the token ID to get in. And then you could sell it theoretically to others um, if that value became higher or I guess lower at any time. Is that a good example of yeah. how this could work? Yeah. One, very cool. But two, like what does this blow up? Like what? Are the, who wins from this? Who loses from this? Because I... See, and Scott was talking about this too. like, I see the middlemen and like the middle brokers getting crushed here because I'm going directly to Andrew Yang in this case, or I'm going directly to uh, SNL. Um, there's no agent, there's no insurance. Like what, um, what are the good, what, what, who wins here? And as it starts to like filter in through society. 
Yeah, it's a good question. And I, I don't know if anyone knows. Yeah, it's really hard to say. Um, I think, um, you know, my sense is that this is a brand new market um, and it's going, in my opinion, it, it'll be a very big market. Um, as we've sort of alluded to, this is not just about collectibles and it's not even just about art. It's about really the tokenization of all sorts of things, right? And beyond gaming, but into physical assets, real estate, you know, all, all of these things will, in my opinion, become um, uh, tokenized with blockchain. It's just kind of a question of when. Um, in that world, I do think that um, there's a, a lot of benefits will accrue to, to users, right? So, uh, and, and people will be able to um, monetize things in a way that they uh, hadn't been able to before. So, what, what one interesting thing that we're seeing is that people are becoming full-time digital artists and there's a market where there's collectors and curators and, you know, people who want to support those artists. Maybe the prices are a little bit inflated right now. Um, but certainly like there's, there's a market where, um, you know, you, you, you want to donate or, or contribute to a creator that you really like and, and you can, you know, pay maybe 50 cents to $2, but there's enough of those people that, an artist can make a living on that. And if you compare that to the model of Instagram, right, very different model on, on Instagram, you're uploading content, but you're, you know, monetizing it through Facebook's proprietary ad platform. And oftentimes you're just not getting paid at all. Right. And so the, the economic models of what people in crypto call the, the web two ecosystem, which is basically the, the internet as it's evolved, um, to be dominated by a couple of lar very large players um, has not actually been a very economically efficient. Um, the, the business models of that world are very indirect and, and benefit those large organizations. And often, you know, they do, they have allowed, um, you know, you know, I'm a huge fan of, of all of the internet properties that have, or, or most of the internet properties that have been created, YouTube, Google, these are all great things for users. Um, but they they have not achieved sort of the vision of a true digital economy where lots of people are being able to, are able to participate in significant ways. So what I see happening is this really giving birth to just a you know a, a giant new economy um, that distributes values to all sorts of participants. So I think I do think that um, you know new companies like our, ourselves are are going to be built from that uh, in inside of that world um uh folks you know across lots of different industries and you know probably even the existing incumbents like the instagrams and facebook's of the world are, are going to get involved at, at some point as well um but you know i just see it as sort of the the birth of a of a brand new model um and and really the the sky being the limit in terms of um what sorts of things people can build the more you dive down this rabbit hole, the more you realize how game changing it is. And it's frankly mind blowing um, to think about, OK, right now on Instagram, I post something. I'm an influencer. I post something. I get a bunch of likes and then maybe people will pay me to put products on there. Uh, meanwhile, Facebook gets all the real money, which they're getting your data. Um, and we did a whole episode. My first episode of Future Of was with e-commerce experts. And they're talking about, yeah, it's better for people to start new businesses now. And like small business owners can have a global market through Facebook. But the real winner there is Facebook. And the bigger it gets, the more it harder it is to do well as an e-commerce salesperson, the better Facebook 
um, really dominates. But you're talking about a world where people can, they don't need Facebook as much in the sense that they can buy a piece of XYZ, piece of a company, piece of real estate and buy and sell it on their own future. And, and like, so where it's getting to, where I'm curious is like, let's say you're a young, you're 17 years old and uh, you get into Harvard, you get into MIT, you get one of the best schools in the country. Instead of having to take on debt um, to go to school, you could actually sell your equity and you could sell a stake in you, whether it's your future income, where you could put an LLC around it, um, or just your, uh, I mean, you have to figure this how this works, but your future worth in a way. And I mean, I know like sports companies have tried to do this with like the like draft prospects and things like that, but there's um, a way where someone could finance their education this way um, based on their future prospects. Thoughts on that, like how it values people or how the, like the weirdest shit you could buy like an NFT of, like, and then could you sell that on OpenSea, your platform? I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the, yeah, those are all interesting ideas. And I, yeah, I don't, I'm not claiming that, you know, everyone is going to kind of sell, you know, equity in themselves. Uh, maybe, you know, people have experimented with that, but I, um, you know, I think it'll start more with, you know, things like, um, you know, digital art games these things where people you can buy something and then you can become sort of a participant in that economy and become much more entrepreneurial in that economy so actually let's take gaming as an example right so gaming um worlds are these very sophisticated economies right um billion dollar economies in some cases but they're completely controlled by the game developer. They're command and control economies. There's no imports. There's no exports. There's no free trade. There's some entrepreneurship, but it often gets shut down. So what would happen if you kind of opened up that economy to all of the free market activities that we know make make economies a lot larger, right? So what if you um, allowed items to be traded on external marketplaces? What if you allowed um, items inside of the game to be used in un- inside other games? What if you allowed um, people to take loans out on items or, um, you know, really participate and own pieces of the economy in a, in a way that you traditionally can't um, in online games? Well, there's examples of, of these starting to emerge. Um, there's a couple of projects in the NFT space. Um, one is called the Central Land, the other called, is called CryptoVoxels, where you own a piece of land in this virtual world, and then you can build things on top of it. Um, and the, these plots of land in, in one of those um, games in particular uh, used to sell for maybe, I don't know, 50 or $60 uh, each. Um, people bought bought the land, started building out a little world themselves. Um, now people, you know, we've seen land, bundles of land sell for hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, as, this, as this world starts to, to get more and more interesting. Um, and people are creating virtual museums where they'll put up their <laughs> NFTs from various art projects. Yeah. Of, so it's sort of the beginning of, um, you know, what people have talked about with a, some sort of metaverse um, type scenario. Well, it starts um, merging what's fake, fake quote unquote, like what's digital and what's real in terms of yeah. physical. Our generation has been, like our parents' generation was able to, and we all, well, frustrated with like, well, why don't you take your money you have and invest in real estate or invest in some X, Y, and, and invest it. And the reality is our generation doesn't have any money. And if we, um, the little money we do have is not enough to invest in real estate or um, things with like, uh, you know, high upside the way it was for our parents and our grandparents certain ways. 
And this is the closest thing I've seen for us to actually have real investment opportunities um, in the sense that you could buy small pieces of real estate that have tremendous upside, but you don't have to put up a million bucks for the down payment or $100,000, whatever it is. You could buy it for a smaller piece. And to your point, what's defined as real estate has now broadened very differently. So a little piece of land in a growing video game while sounds fake, more and more people are going to play that video game, more and more people are going to invest in that video game and play. So that appeals to real estate. If you own it, it is actually as valuable or more valuable than some real estate in real life. Um, so that's what's wild to me where this like, it is essentially a democratization of, let's call it investments in a weird way. I hesitate to call like, and I don't think all NFTs should be viewed as an investment, right? Um, some of them are just useful in some capacity, right? You could have um, NFT event tickets, right? Where you're just buying something to attend an event, right? Um, but it certainly broadens the landscape of what can be um, owned uh, in, in a digital context, right? And and so when you when you when you introduce at the end of the day, what NFTs do is they introduce property rights on the internet, and the implications of that are just extremely broad. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. If I want to start buying tokens, um, how do I start? There's a variety of ways that you can get started. Um, there are some websites that allow you to buy directly with a credit card. Um, my personal recommendation would be to uh, get a crypto wallet. Um, there's one called MetaMask, which is the the most um, popular crypto wallet. Um, and then if you want to sort of experience these in their full glory, you will need to buy crypto. Um, and uh, you, you, know, you can do that in a variety of places. Coinbase is you know, a big one in the US. Um, and then you can transfer that crypto to your MetaMask wallet. And what's really cool about that is that now you own your crypto. Um, it's it's literally in your wallet, and that's the same place where you can own your NFTs. Now you got them in your wallet, and you can go and use a variety of NFT experiences uh, with that same wallet. So let's say you go and buy 
um, this project I was talking about called Decentraland, which is a, a virtual world project. You can actually buy virtual clothing inside of that uh, virtual world, um, sort of fashion items. You can go and buy that on OpenSea and you can have it in your wallet and then you can connect your wallet to Decentraland and use your stuff inside of Decentraland. And it, the, the interesting thing about having a crypto wallet is it kind of goes with you wherever you are on the internet. I see that every, every time I talk to folks like you, I see the potential of this. I see where it's going. It's remarkable. The one thing to me that seems a massive barrier for this to really become mainstream outside of like the gamer expert techie community. And maybe we all become that way. That's true. But the big barrier to me is the cost of the barrier to entry in the sense that um, anecdotally or just as a comparison, mobile payments are better than paying on a credit card for even convenience, right? Like if I could just take my phone and tap it on something or hold it up or scan it, it's faster, it's easier, it's more efficient, it's theoretically theoretically more secure than credit card payments. Yet the United States as a country has not moved, even though the tech is there, from credit cards to mobile payments. Why? Because the, the cost of like getting rid of your credit cards and moving them on your phone is not worth the, like the net benefit of just starting to use your phone. However, in China, who is paying cash all the time, they've moved to like 90%, I don't know the actual number, but the vast, vast majority of people in, in China use mobile payments because they never had credit cards. So my point is the analogy I'm using is crypto is gonna be better, more efficient, theoretically more secure, changing everything. But there is a major cost to getting into this. You have to basically get a your own token, you have to save it on your own USB drive, you have to protect it. And if you lose that token, it's gone. It's gone forever or someone else can steal it, if someone else has it, that sort of thing. What do you say to um, how, or what are your thoughts on how the barriers to getting into this get lower? Now, people have told me, told me Coinbase is like a, a version of the kind of bank that if you lose your token, you can get it back, I don't know. Um, but what, like, how does this get easier for for my mom to get into this market? Yeah, no, it's a great point. Um, and I actually think one of the interesting things uh, your framing was interesting in that you said like crypto is better in all of these ways. I actually think it's kind of funny, like crypto is worse in all these ways, right? Like uh, it's harder to use. It's the, if you look at the technical side of the Ethereum blockchain, it's really slow, it's expensive. And what's kind of funny about it is that people are still using it, right? And so I think that's actually indicative of the opportunity is that if you look at things where, like, look at the early internet, right? Where you had to um, install special hardware on your uh, machine, you had to, you know, it's really slow, you had to like get a web browser. People, you know, were at some point in their lives, they didn't know what a web browser was. They had to figure all that stuff out, similar to a wallet today, right? Um, so there's, and yet people did it because there was cool stuff on the internet, right? There was fun stuff to explore. So similar, I think it's a similar situation where people are uh, using NFTs because there's cool, you know, there's cool things to be done, right? And in the case of NFTs, there's, you know, sometimes it's financially motivated, sometimes it's motivated by an experience around an NFT, but there's lots of different reasons. Um, but I do think, uh, to answer your question, I, I, I do think that um, the barriers need to come down and, they're gradually coming down. Uh, if you look at where we were three years ago, we're in a very different world today where wallets work, you know, wallets barely even worked back then. Um, you had to, 
you couldn't, there was nothing you could really download in your browser that would connect you to Ethereum. It was actually this separate desktop application. So a lot of people don't remember this because it, back then it was, it was really just like, you know, people who uh, were very into crypto uh, who, who did this. And so there's not that comparison. Um, it, you know, it feels, it feels really hard today. Um, but we've, we've come a long way and I think we'll just keep on making progress on really all of those areas, right? Credit card onboarding is a, is, you know, starting to become a little bit better for crypto. Um, wallet infrastructure is becoming a, a bit easier to use. So then fast forward, you know, I would say maybe in the next couple of years, the experience looks, you know, a, a step function from where it is today. And maybe someone, who's more casual and doesn't know about it can get can get into it a lot more easily. Essentially, the, the, the pioneers in this crypto space are saying, we're not worried about this because it's so early, that innovation will happen. Like the hardest innovation is where this tech is working and the different applications of it, but it will become more mainstream. And to me, I say, maybe, I think it's my opinion, like maybe, like the, uh, you could even argue like the PC the personal computer was getting better and getting better. And even BlackBerry was kicking butt, but it, it took a, like once in a generation entrepreneur, Steve Jobs to like fundamentally make this appealing to the masses. Um, and you could argue Henry Ford was a similar type where it's like, we had the car, we had it for a while, um, but it was the, the concept of mass adoption or mass production for him. And then, you know, making it more palatable but maybe, you know, this is like you're saying, and you're probably right, is that, look, we're still in like the PCs the size of a garage and size of a, like, you know, building um, stage of crypto, right? We're still really early, um, which is exciting, especially when you think about the game-changing abilities of this. You know, what's the future of your site starting to look like? What is what is exciting you about what OpenSea is going to be able to do and what role does it play as NFTs start to become more normalized? I think the vision of our um, of OpenSea has always been around the broad expansion of NFTs as a um, as a phenomenon in the world, and uh, OpenSea being a portal into that world where people can come on, explore, discover, uh, search, and purchase and sell uh, NFTs. And so our focus is really around um, how do we be the best place for people to do that. Um, and how do we focus on what our customers are excited about and what our customers want? And so a big piece of that going forward is exactly what we've been talking about, right? It's reducing the friction um, for the first for people to, to use NFTs. And right now, you know, it's not too hard to go and, and discover uh, NFTs. But if you actually go and try to buy an NFT, yeah, it, it definitely does require uh, getting a little bit deeper into the tech and uh, understanding how wallets work. So we do want to reduce those barriers quite a lot. Um, and then the other um, thing that uh, we're really focused on is um, how do we expand the use cases uh, for NFTs, right? Today, it's uh, primarily around um, pretty expensive digital art. And one of the reasons for that is um, the blockchain uh, that these uh, assets are living on is actually, um, if you dig into the technical side, it's quite expensive to move things around. Um, so one of the things we're working on is better, more scalable technology that will uh, allow people to move things around at, at higher frequencies 
and support a much broader range of prices. So, you know, one of the reasons that art in in NFT world sells for tens of thousands of dollars is because there's a $50 transaction fee typically that you're paying to the to the miners on the blockchain. Um, and if we can reduce that transaction fee, then we could have, you know, people buying things for 10 cents, 50 cents. Yeah, and it's that's not worth it that, unless it's high enough. Exactly. Right? You don't yeah, want to sell something yeah. for five, you know, five bucks because, <laughs> or under 50 bucks, it doesn't, not worth it. I believe you guys just raised $23 million in your series A. Um, so congratulations. I believe OpenSea is a version of our future. Um, and it's, uh, it's super exciting. So OpenSea, S-E-A, dot I-O is your website. Um, Devin will put your Twitter handle and such in here. But um, I appreciate your time. Thanks for pioneering a space that none of us have fully understood yet. Um, but I think we all will be going forward. So thank you for coming on and teaching. I learned a lot. Um, the reality is we don't really know. That's my, my takeaway here is we have no, this is the Wild West. Like we have no idea what this manifests itself into, which is exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, man. Cool.